You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you today for the second week of a four-week series called Thy Kingdom Come. If you weren't here last week, that's okay. We're going to get you caught up real quick. These words from the Lord's Prayer, Thy Kingdom Come, right? We say it every Sunday. These words, these three words, three little words. But when we really get into them, they really pack quite a punch when we understand what we're really saying. And so last week we began by talking about whose kingdom this is. Because to talk about a kingdom, we have to recognize that there's a king. And so last week we talked about who this king is, this Jesus who came for us. And we made a mad dash through Mark's gospel in 17 and a half minutes. It was great, those of you that were here. But we stopped long enough to pause at those moments when Jesus was baptized and when Jesus was sent out into the wilderness, because this is the moment when Jesus realized, recognized, acknowledged who and whose he was. That he was the Son of God and did not need to be tempted by anything this world could offer him. No material possessions, even the kingdoms, not interested. It's all about Jesus knowing who and whose he is. And then we got to this pivotal moment about halfway through Mark's Gospel in chapter 8, where Jesus turns to those closest to him and says, Who then do you say? That I am. And we ended last week with that question because to understand this kingdom of God is to recognize who the king is, but also to understand what kind of king Jesus really is. And to do that, we have to answer the question who do you say that Jesus is? Is he just a good man who taught good things? A prophet? Elijah? John the Baptist? Or is Jesus really our king? Because to say that Jesus is a king is to acknowledge him for the king that he is, not the king that we would like for him to be. A king who comes in humility and sacrifice, not power or control. A king who comes not with violence, but with peace. A king who comes and says, I came to serve, not to be served. I had a seminary professor, and and I'm surprised that I'm bringing this up because Seminary is one of those things where you write all these notes and you think you'll never, ever use them ever again. But I had a professor in seminary, Dr. David Bauer, who talked about Jesus as a king in this way. The focus of the gospel is on Jesus as the royal son of God, whose origin is in God himself, but whose throne is a cross. And to really get that, we've got to understand that a cross is a symbol of shame and humiliation. No king would ever be anywhere near a Roman cross. So to say that Jesus is king is to acknowledge him, to accept him, to put our faith in him, to follow him, and to obey his commands. A king who through his suffering, death, and resurrection saves us for the kingdom of God to participate with God in the building of God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And so today we look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. It'll be on your screens. Let's hear the words of the Lord. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. 
Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. When people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So one thing that makes Matthew's gospel unique is that there are five speeches, discourses, sermons, whatever you want to call them, of Jesus himself. And this first sermon that appears in chapters 5 through 7 is recorded at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry and begins with this series of blessings upon certain groups of people that paint for us an image of what God's kingdom is like. These beatitudes, as they are known, are not a set of ways in which followers of Christ ought to behave. Rather, they are about the way in which Jesus is going to rule his kingdom. Now, before we go too far down that road, we need to understand what these blessings are really all about. Because one of the struggles with this passage of Scripture is that the Greek word for blessing, makarios, does not translate well into English. Most English translations use the word blessed. Some use the word happy. But this Greek word makarios has a much deeper meaning than just being happy. It's an inner happiness. It's described this way. Makarios is a specific kind of blessing. It describes someone who is in an enviable position because of receiving God's grace. Someone who has an internal happiness based on their inner contentment from knowing that they are received by grace into God's kingdom. To be blessed is about an inner sense of peace in knowing that God's grace that meets us where we are in all of our brokenness is what invites us into God's kingdom. Not anything that we can do for ourselves or anything we might own or have, but an inner peace in knowing who we are. So to talk about what being blessed is also means to talk about what blessed is not. Being blessed is not about material things, or possessions, or power, or happiness that we might get from getting a new job or buying a new car. That is not blessed. Because if we use the word blessed to say what we have is a blessing from God, then what does that say about those people that don't have those things? Are we somehow favored more than them? Oh, what if we are cured from some illness and we say, oh, I'm so blessed? What does that say about the person who is not? So to be blessed is not about what we have, 
but is about who and whose we are in Christ. Last week, you might remember, if you were here, that we talked about Luke chapter 4, when Jesus announces the very reason that he came, to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. When we hold these things in tension with these beatitudes, these groups of people that are blessed because they recognize that they have received God's grace and are invited into God's kingdom, not about anything they have, actually it's about what they don't have, then we begin to see a picture of God's kingdom. A kingdom in which God pursues those who know that they are sinners in need of grace, who embrace the love of God as something to be valued, and are prepared to respond to this calling of Christ as the one who was sent to save us for living in God's kingdom. In other words, Jesus will establish his kingdom through the very least of these amongst us. Because Jesus does not need power or wealth, rather he needs people. He needs people who have eyes to see and ears to hear the good news of God's kingdom that is at hand, people in whom the Holy Spirit can dwell, and by whose power the the kingdom of God will grow, which is quite unlike any kingdom this world has ever seen before. These beatitudes do not call us to live a certain way. Jesus is not saying that we should all live in mud huts and live off the land. That is not where Jesus calls us. Rather, he is stating the reality of God's kingdom that already is here and who it includes. If you think about the calling of Jesus' disciples, this group of ragamuffin fishermen for the most part, Jesus establishes a political cabinet of nobodies who really have nothing to offer other than their support, their hard work, and a little bit of faith. It's through these, this group of disciples, who Jesus grows frustrated with over and over. It's this group who will carry on the work of the kingdom after Jesus is gone. Because they may not be the brightest, they're certainly not the wealthiest, but they're willing. They're willing to respond, and when they encounter the risen Christ, and they see with their own eyes that this kingdom that Jesus was talking about, and showing them, and inviting them into that it's real, that Jesus is indeed alive, how can you not respond to that? And so they go, and they begin a movement that will change the world. telling people of the good news of Jesus Christ and about a kingdom that has no end. One of the parables that Jesus uses to talk about this kingdom of God, there are many places where Jesus tries to paint a picture through parables of what this kingdom of God is like. And one of the things that he says is it's like a mustard seed, (laughs) the smallest of seeds. It looks like nothing. What could possibly come out of that? But Jesus reminds us that out of this tiny seed can become the greatest of shrubs and trees. If only we have a little faith. We can say to this mountain, move and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for us. 
What we need to realize is that you and I do not need to understand all things about God's kingdom. We will not until a future time. We just need to have enough faith to put our trust in the one who created it for us. It's important to note that each of these beatitudes is connected with a promise. The poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of heaven. The meek will inherit the earth, and so on. And it's because of these promises. Jesus says these are the people who should rejoice and be glad. For their reward is great in heaven. Those who are blessed are blessed because of the promise they have in Christ. And they're living into this promise and they can rejoice because they know that no matter what happens in this world, whatever their situation may be, the poor in spirit, the meek, the merciful, those that lower themselves, those that are less than, they rejoice and they're glad because they know that the kingdom of God that is coming is theirs. It's a blessing based on living for God's kingdom, not our own. A blessing based on a kingdom that is yet to come, not on the struggles that we will encounter here in this world. But to know that we are blessed also means that we are blessed to be a blessing. I love what the kids said. If I have a toy that I don't use, maybe I can give it to somebody else who doesn't have one. That's exactly the point. God made a covenant with Abraham to build from him a great nation. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. So as people living out our faith in Christ for God's kingdom, the church is not a building that we come to to pay our dues once a week. Lord, help us if it is. Rather, the church is a people of God who recognize that we are sinners in needs of God's grace, called to live into God's kingdom, responding to the love and the grace of a God who sent Jesus as our king, so that we might go into all the world and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. If we look elsewhere in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in chapters 6 and 7, they are rarely preached about. Because Jesus says things like this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures here on earth, but store up treasure in heaven. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Do unto others as you would have them do to you, and so on. Jesus never said that following him would be easy. In fact, he said, take up your cross and follow me. Lose your life and find it. The gate will be narrow, not wide, and many will not find it. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, there are some that will call me Lord, but will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Do we just believe and then stop? No. That's when we start believing. That's when we start living for God's kingdom and obey the commands of our king. These words are difficult and they're challenging and they make us really uncomfortable. And they should. Because Jesus is speaking of a world that seems completely upside down. And it causes us to ask, if we're honest, are we really focused on the things of God? 
Are we really not seeing or hearing the kingdom that is all around us? Do we really hunger and thirst for righteousness? It seems as though this kingdom that Jesus is speaking of is so far upside down that we can't possibly reach it. But what is actually the case is that the the kingdom that Jesus speaks of is actually the one that's the right way up, and it's us that have it wrong. Because we're too busy living for our kingdom. Frederick Buechner, who's an American writer, theologian, he's written over 30 books about this subject, says it this way. We would know that the kingdom of God is what we all hunger for above all other things, even when we don't know its name or realize that it's what we're starving to death for. It's where we belong. It's our home. And whether we realize it or not, we are all homesick for it. Many will find comfort and happiness in stuff, in things, but it doesn't last. The only happiness that we can find is living for God, who by his grace invites us into God's kingdom. We struggle in a consumer-driven culture that constantly pushes us for more, for better, to be more comfortable. And too often we use this language of blessed to talk about what we have rather than who and whose we are. We are blessed. But it's only because of the grace of God that we are invited into God's kingdom. That by putting our faith and trust in Christ following the example of Christ in our lives, that we can also follow him in death and in the resurrection. Or as Paul says in Philippians, as we read last week, it's only when we have the same mind as Christ that we truly follow Christ so that God might be glorified. If you want to be Wesleyan about it for just a second, John Wesley says it this way. Hungry people have no regard for the world around them, All these things are no account to a hungry person. The hungry cry out, give me food or I will die. And it's the same for those who truly hunger and thirst for righteousness. We can't find comfort in anything but God. And so we cry out, give me love or I will die. To say that Jesus is our king is to accept him for the king that he is. To say thy kingdom come is to recognize that Jesus is the king of a spiritual world that is near, that is at hand, that is all around us, but yet is not complete. And we are saved by faith in Christ to live for this kingdom. To seek first the kingdom of God. To hunger and thirst for righteousness. To be among the blessed whom God chooses to build his kingdom. And it's in this blessing, this blessing of knowing who and whose we are and what we are saved for, that we can rejoice and be glad. For it's in this and only in this that our reward is great in heaven. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. 
Gracious God, your call to live the way that you have taught us to live is not easy. It's challenging and it makes us uncomfortable. But because of the way that you demonstrated that we ought to live, that you gave yourself for us, that you sacrificed yourself for us, that you lowered yourself to that of a slave and a servant, that you were obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that God might reach down and glorify you and God might be glorified by it. This life you call us to is difficult. Help us. Help us have eyes to see your kingdom that is all around us. Help us have ears to hear. That we might know, we might accept, we might recognize that we are all sinners in need of your grace. But it's because of this grace, because of your great love for us, that we are saved, that we're rescued, so that we might live in your kingdom and be a part of building it here on earth as it is in heaven. We give you thanks for all that you are and all that you will be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.